This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. They are also now fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, which is cbtseminary.org. Again, that is cbtseminary.org. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast today. We are very uh, excited and pleased to have to have the opportunity to welcome Dr. Michael Haken onto the Covenant Podcast. Uh, Dr. Haken was born in England of Irish and Kurdish parents. Uh, Michael Haken serves as the professor of church history and biblical spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Haken has a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy from the University of Toronto, a Master of Religion from Wycliffe College, uh, the University of Toronto, and a PhD in church history from Wycliffe College and the University of Toronto. Uh, Michael Haken and his wife, Allison, have two grown children, Victoria and Nigel. Dr. Haken, we want to welcome you to the podcast today. Yeah, it's great being with you. I'll start us off with a question related to an article that you wrote, I believe, in 2007. Um, In an article that you wrote for Nine Marks, you say that our culture, I'm guessing you mean Western culture, is not one that provides encouragement for the nurture and development of deep, long-lasting, and satisfying friendships. What are some reasons for this, you think? Yeah, I think uh, part of it is the one of the dominant uh, features of our culture, and this goes back well into the Middle Ages. It's the late Middle Ages that you see this arise. Uh, is the 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 individualism that marks our our culture? <clears throat> uh, we have, and uh, in recent years, probably the last century or so, this has become almost a kind of a, a the 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 dominant hallmark in some respects uh, from a sociological standpoint of our culture, and uh, the the focus on the uh, the person as an individual over over against a person as a member of a community, I think has fostered this uh, to many degree uh, to many degrees. Um, the busyness of Western life, uh, technology, uh, amazingly, uh, social media, I don't think has been helpful here. Uh, you know the the whole area of Facebook friends, uh, many of whom you don't really know. Um, People are obviously interested in you in for whatever reason, uh, but they're not the sort of friendships uh, that are uh, can be that you would want to you know uh, think about in terms of you know classical reflection on friendship. I'm thinking here of uh, Plato's Symposium or 
Aristotle's discussion of friendship in the Nicomachean Ethics. Um, and so there are a number of factors. There's no, not, one, not just one factor, but there are a number of factors that make uh, developing really satisfying, solid friendships uh, in Western culture a reality. Uh, Dr. Haken, is the Western church doing uh, much better at fostering friendships? No, I don't think so. I, I think that we're, uh, I think this is an element in which we have been shaped probably unknowingly by our culture. Uh, I think part of the problem uh, for Christians is that um, unless they are intentionally building a New Testament culture in the life of their churches, and uh, certainly the, the strength of earlier generations of Christians in terms of their commitment to one another, their building of friendships, um, unless you're purposely nurturing um, a New Testament culture, you, you'll end up going back to your default culture. And in this case, it's, it's obviously Western culture. And I don't think churches, um, by and large, are succeeding in this area any better uh, than our, our culture, although we technically should have the resources to do so. Hmm. Dr. Haken, how would you define friendship or what, what is friendship? What should we be seeking after? Well, I think friendship, I mean, I, here I would probably take a biblical a model and in the scriptures in the old testament you actually find two kind of definitions that are really kind of tucked away in uh somewhat obscure passages one is found in uh, deuteronomy where it talks about um if you are tempted to idolatry by a relative by a father mother brother and then it says, a friend who is as your own soul. Um, and it goes on to have the radical solution that you must kill such a person. Um, so it's not, the, it's not a text that you would normally associate with friendship, but it's that little statement there that who is, what is a friend? A friend is somebody who is as your own soul. And um, the uh, original Hebrew gives the impression there of somebody who is knit to your soul. Actually, that's the word that is used. And that, that kind of phrase is brought up again in 1 Samuel to talk about the friendship between uh, David and Jonathan, uh, that Jonathan was knit to the soul of, of uh, David. And here we, we find friendship really kind of being defined as a bonding, um, a sharing of similar concerns uh, and so on. And then the other passage is found in Exodus, where it says that God would come and speak to Moses face-to-face uh, -face as a friend to a friend. And here, again, you've got a, a passage that is not designed uh, to uh, explicate friendship, but again, it's a throwaway statement, as it were. It's an implication. And that friendship is a there is a significant degree of transparency. Friendship is a relationship where one can be honest with one another. It's not only that you're bonded together emotionally uh, in terms of sharing, as it were, one heart, but there is this truth, truthfulness and honesty that is the, the kind of ambience or matrix 
or ground in which uh, friendship is nourished. So those two passages, um, not uh, per se definitions of friendship, but they 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 are implications of, or they imply they they assume the reader knows what a friend is in light of these texts. Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, you answered our next question, so we'll just go ahead and move on to uh, the, the next one that we have. We have uh, discussed Andrew Fuller and William Carey on our podcast, and as uh, our listeners are starting to become familiar with, these men were instrumental in the formation of the Baptist Mission Society in the late 18th century. Dr. Haken, can you give us some historical background for the founding of the Union and describe the men and their friendships that led to this? Yeah, it, it really grows out of, in some ways, the evangelical awakening. Uh, you have the evangelical revivals in the uh, middle of the 18th century, actually the third decade and fourth decade of the 18th century. Uh, they're transatlantic. They're, they're impacted both sides of the Atlantic, uh, both Britain and America. Uh, they are primarily located in the Anglophone world. And um, uh, whenever there is revival, there is concern for the salvation of others. And um, it's not surprising that as the revival does impact uh, particular Baptists, uh, in the particular there is a is a denominator of the denomination that we call Calvinistic Baptists. Some might call Reformed Baptists today. That's not a word that is used at that period. Um, you start to get the, 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 the awareness that there are vast amounts of humanity that have no access to gospel, uh, to the gospel, to scripture, to ministers of the gospel. And um, the, the, um, Emer emergence of missionary concern is part of this awakening um, through the 18th century, but it's also particularly germane uh, in the particular Baptist context because far too many of the English particular Baptist communities are, uh, are deeply hampered or even in bondage to a hyper-Calvinism as we might describe it today. I would probably prefer to describe it as a high Calvinism, um, where the decrees of salvation uh, were so emphasized that human the, the human decision to follow Christ was, was almost lost completely. And uh, in certain circles, and it was the circle that Andrew Fuller grew up in, um, ministers would never plead with the lost to come to Christ because doing so was felt to be an affront, uh, an affront to God, uh, because only God can awaken sinners, which is a biblical truth. Uh, but there is also the, the parallel truth that men and women are called upon, uh, they are, they are uh, urged uh, to respond to the gospel, even though they cannot. Um, and there, there's a paradox here, but no more a problematic paradox than the Trinity or the Incarnation uh, Etc. And so it's it's as these these churches are beginning to be impacted by um, the awakening, um, also dealing with their own uh, particular context of uh, this hyper Calvinism, that you find the 
the makings of what would eventually become the the uh, modern missionary movement um, and the emergence initially of the Baptist Missionary Society in 1792. Could you flesh out the nature of the the friendships of some of those men that were instrumental in forming that that society? Yeah, this is a factor, for instance, that is often not not considered. Um, so that when you know, there's been a lot written. Uh, understandably, on the formation of the Modern Missionary Society, William Carey as a pioneer, and Andrew Fuller's theology. Fuller Fuller actually writes a book uh, called The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation, which is published in 1785. And it's on the basis of that book in which he, he, he basically argues that ministers of the gospel have a duty before God to urge the lost um, in a variety of ways to come to faith in Christ. And um, usually the, the, the studies that have been done, and there's been a lot done uh, comparatively, um, deal with uh, those sorts of issues. They deal with the theological issues. They deal with the ecclesiological issues. But the kind of personal issues, namely the, the friendship between these men, has been frequently overlooked. And I suspect this, again, is a, a symptom of our of our of our cultural malaise that I was talking about earlier, the, the failure of both uh, the Western culture and the Western church uh, to address or see uh, friendship as a theological issue. But um, it is the friendship between these men, uh, the bonds of love um, between uh, Fuller and Carey, and then a, a circle of men in Britain, uh, John Ryland Jr., who was at uh, a Baptist church in Northampton and then became the principal of Bristol Baptist College. Uh, John Sutcliffe, who is in Olney Baptist Church uh, for about 40 years, Olney in Buckinghamshire is where John Newton had his first pastorate. In fact, uh, Newton's uh, pastorate overlaps uh, Sutcliffe's uh, time in the Baptist church there for a number of years. Um, uh, Samuel Pierce, at Cannon Street Baptist Church in Birmingham. And uh, there are deep bonds that are formed between these men. Well illustrated, for example, by a, uh, a, a Greek New Testament that Pierce gave to Carey in India. Uh, he actually sent it to Carey in India. And he inscribed in the front of it um, uh, that passage from the book of Acts, one heart and one soul. And that's all he wrote. Uh, he wrote them in, in Greek. And uh, that, that book still exists. I've seen it in an archival uh, deposit in uh, Regents Park College in Oxford, uh, Oxford University. And uh, that really kind of captures these men, that for a period of time, God gave these men uh, such a love for one another, that they did sense that they were experiencing the sort of New Testament reality that you find uh, in the early chapters of Acts. And um, that's a key factor um, in the, the formation of the modern uh, missionary movement, that it grows out of these kind of bonds of friendship. And I think what it does is it reflects a much larger truth, which is that whenever there has been a, a great work of God in the history of the church, he does it through a circle of friends. It's never just one man. 
I mean, we have, again, I think it is a symptom of our culture that we tend to focus on Luther, Carey, uh, Athanasius, uh, etc. But the reality is that these men in the achievements that they did for the gospel, for the kingdom, etc., uh, it was done in a circle of friends. Um, a number of years ago, a book was published called The Friends of, of Calvin, and uh, 30 chapters, 30 friends, and to be honest, I only knew about maybe half a dozen of them, and it just drew, brings home the reality that not only, not simply Calvin's work in Geneva, but all great works of God are grounded uh, in the circle of friends. And if you want a biblical example, you just have to think of the Pauline circle, uh, the circle of friends around the Apostle Paul. What, you kind of alluded to this in one of your earlier answers about the idea of um, being intentional about cultivating a, a New Testament church or, or the identity of the New Testament church that we find within the Bible. Um, what are some foundational beliefs and habit that, habits that we as Christians must retrieve if we are to cultivate the priority of forming these meaningful friendships? Well, I think one of them is uh, uh, an important one, which also is a problem in Western culture, and that is the use of time. And um, friendships take time. And um, you, you, you just can't, I mean, the, the sort of social media where you have uh, an instantaneous, uh, an instantaneity, uh, which marks uh, social media, uh, that's not going to cut it for friendship. Uh, there needs to be that face-to-face -face time. Um, obviously, other media can uh, help uh, in this regard. Uh, we have uh, we have the various social media, which previous generations did not have. Uh, they were restricted to letters, um, but it's still going to take time. And uh, to sit down and write a letter, a handwritten letter, or to sit down with somebody, there's going to be time taken, and this has to be intentional. And uh, it, I, I'm sure if uh, we would ask all of our heroes, uh, are there people who once were friends in your life and you have no idea where they are now? And that not because you had a formal break, that there was any sort of blow up, uh, but simply because you didn't have the time to continue to nurture that friendship. And I'm pretty certain that probably most of us could think of somebody uh, who was once a friend, a close friend, and we've just lost touch simply because of the busyness of life. Um, I mean, obviously that happens. It's not in itself a sin uh, in one sense, but I think uh, it does point that what we have to recover is a sense of the preciousness of time and the importance of decisions that we make as to how to allocate time. And the decision to spend time with friends uh, doing certain things or simply sitting and chatting, uh, making sure that we, we uh, meet such and such a person every month or you know, once every few months or what have you, uh, keeping in touch when we don't see them face to face by, by email or uh, by phone calls. Um, that's going to take time. And um, 
the busyness of life, particularly, you know, uh, in our context, families, church, uh, our vocations, um, all of these are, are really kind of, uh, unless, unless we are intentional, again, about spending time, committing time, uh, th- these can be enemies to the, the whole area of friendship. So I think that's one, 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 one area. I think a second area would be uh, we, we, we need to have some uh, explicit teaching about the importance of friendship. Uh, we need to know why friends are important and um, et cetera. So uh, there is growing. Uh, this wasn't the case about 20 years ago because what I, I think I probably first started thinking about this probably the best part of 30 years ago and began to try to find 20th century resources on friendship. And there was a paucity of them. There were, there are very few of them. And uh, this has changed um, or is changing. There are, there are increasingly studies of friendship, both at an academic and at a popular level. And, uh, but I'm not sure it's necessarily trickled down into the local church. And in fact, I think this is one of the, one of the challenges, how local churches, how do local churches go about uh, fostering friendship? Um, and uh, it certainly cannot be, you know, the, in some ways artificial uh, thing that some churches do at the beginning of their services, you know, say hello to, to one or two people you've never met before, um, you know, at the beginning of a service, which is kind of a Protestantized version of the Roman Catholic uh, sharing the peace, um, which does in its origins go back to a holy kiss of the New Testament. But um, uh, churches need to talk about this subject and why friendship is important. So there's a couple of areas. One is the taking stock of the value of time and decisions we make where we commit our time. And the other is that churches have to be intentional about thinking and trying to cultivate friendships. Our last question and this question have some overlap. And uh, obviously we would all probably uh, agree that many pastors battle uh, loneliness and ministry and uh, maybe have a difficult time uh, developing friendships sometimes with others that are going through experiences that they are going through. So uh, what actions can a pastor take to ensure that he and his family develop good quality friendships? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think, I think that's probably one of the real challenges in our communities is that uh, uh, pastoral friendships. Um, the pastor as a leader within the local church stands in a somewhat different position than the other members of the church in developing friendships within a congregation. Um, I mean, some of the wisdom or received wisdom of the past would emphasize that a pastor cannot have friends within his own congregation. Um, The seminary that I first began teaching at in Toronto, Central Baptist Seminary uh, back in the 1980s, um, its founder was a man named W. Gordon Brown who is actually the translator of the book of John in the uh, New International Version, a very gifted uh, Greek scholar, a very remarkable leader. But in his pastoral theology class, he would tell students, um, you know, 
you should not have friends within your local church. And so I think, uh, I, I don't agree with that. I think that's wrong. But I do, I do think that there, he, that, that advice didn't just come out of thin air. I think there were reasons for that. And I think part of it is the danger of being perceived to have had, to have favorites within the local church and how that might be a hindrance to ministry. Um, I think, and this, this is where, again, technology is defeating us. I mean, in the past, one of the places that you would develop friendships as a pastor would be when you went to seminary or Bible college. You would build relationships. I mean, I have two friends. This now goes back to the late 70s, early 80s, when I was in the seminary, uh, uh, that I maintained friendships with. And they're my oldest friends. Um, and they were both, they were both, you know, uh, men that I studied with uh, at uh, seminary. Um, but with the, uh, uh, the uh, onset of online uh, theological education, and the fact that you can do a degree totally online, you, you never get to meet any of your fellow students. And uh, this is a problem. And so this is, this is one area that pastors will develop friendships. And one of the reasons why I, I'm not, of course, I'm not against uh, online education uh, in, in uh, a complete sense. I think there is value in uh, it as a supplement. But I still am very strongly convinced that a residential model supplemented by, you know, maybe online is enormously helpful. And I, I've seen it at, at, at Southern where I teach in the, particularly in the doctoral program where, you know, we, we have had a very strong emphasis on a residential program for at least two, uh, two and a half years. And then students, once they're writing their thesis, uh, don't need to be residential. And um, the friendships that develop, that develop there and that they're renewed, they're renewed at uh, conferences and, various other contexts and uh so that 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 is certainly a very important kind of venue for developing uh friendships for pastors but i, I do think pastoral ministry uh, can be very very lonely and um uh it's vital for pastors to have friends and uh some of them i think can be built within the local church as long as it's very very clear that in building such friendships, the pastor is not is not uh, trying to develop you know favorites within the local church, as it were, and uh, that his friendship with such an individual does not mean that a person is favored above others uh, in uh, in an unhealthy sense. And um, again, a pastor is uh, has enormous pressures on time. Um, uh, despite all the labor-saving devices we have in our culture. And uh, he needs to cultivate the sort of things that we've been talking about, the, the habits that uh, enable him to, to uh, sustain uh, long-term friendships. This next question is kind of a, a spin on the one before it, but what can churches do to ensure that their pastors and, and their families develop the friendships that we've, we've been talking about? Well, I think uh, those in leadership 
alongside the pastor, you know, deacons, other elders need to need to ask the pastor some hard questions. You know, um, I, I think when they call a man, uh, you know, are there are there are there people in your life who are with whom you can be transparent and honest, who can hold you accountable? Um, do you pray with others? Um, you know, those sort of questions are never asked, I think, when a man is called um, to, to ministry. But I think those are questions that need to be asked. And, um, uh, and then I think, I think uh, as, as a man meets with uh, uh, friends, I think the church needs to recognize that um, he, he'll need time to do this. And sometimes that time might mean, you know, a weekend away. I have I have uh, uh, a friend, a very a good friend, a close friend in Quebec, and uh, he has he's a pastor, uh, and he has two very close friends uh, in pastoral ministry. Well, one of them now is the head of a seminary in Quebec, and they meet twice a year for a um, a three or four day retreat where they pray together, laugh together. Uh, eat together, uh, etc. Share, you know, their lives together, and that's obviously going to take a block of time. And uh, their families and their churches are committed to them having this time. And so, churches need to really need to ask uh, pastors, you know, are are, are there uh, are there friends in your life whom you need to meet like that? You know, maybe it's only once a year uh, for a couple of days. Um, but they, the churches need to understand the vital importance of this and help the pastor uh, have time, uh, to carve out time, etc. And uh, maybe elders uh, and deacons uh, need to ask those hard questions. You know, pastor, are you, are, are you, do, you have, do you have time uh, in your life for, for friendships? Uh, do you have friends? Um, and how are you keeping up those friendships? Uh, just as much as are you walking with God? Uh, what's your prayer life like? Are there areas of challenge in your spiritual life, uh, etc.? And um, the one we see the latter as absolutely vital, having God as our friend, uh, but the other is as important. Uh, Dr. Haken, this will be our uh, last question that we have, unless Jimmy wants to add another one. Uh, do you have any other words of encouragement for our listeners related to friendship? Yes, I, I think it is this, that moving forward, uh, unless, unless we experience continent-wide revival in North America, uh, I think we, we as Christians face challenging times ahead. And... Um, the sort of challenges that other other Christian communities uh, faced around the world and have faced in the past, we've not known because broadly speaking, the culture that we, um, uh, you know, that is part of our life, namely a kind of broadly speaking Judeo-Christian culture has been the culture of the West, uh, Western culture, has been um, 
broadly speaking, a Judeo-Christian culture, which explains one of the reasons why uh, uh, intellectual elites in media and universities and in politics are so uh, disdainful of Western culture because it has been, if, if they're not Christians, uh, it has been so imbued with Christianity and in their determination to rid themselves of that background, really it's, it's resulted in an attack on Western culture. And I think unless, unless things change significantly uh, for many communities in North America, for Christian communities, I think going forward, uh, we will need each other. Um, and uh, I think one of the reasons why you find those friendships uh, being so powerful for Baptists in England in the late 18th century is that Baptists were marginalized. They were a, a marginal group. And, and these Christian brothers and sisters who believed in uh, congregational church government, believers' baptism, rejected the idea of a state church uh, and infant baptism, uh, they recognized that there were, to some degree, their larger culture was inimical, inimical to them, and they needed each other. And I think I think this is this is not a this is not oh you know um, this is an option in the Christian life this is a nice frill if I've got time I'll have friends no no we are we are going to need each other um, in increasingly in a in a world that is hostile uh, to who we are and what we love and what we are pursuing and so I don't think that this is something well we can. We, we can engage in friendship if we, if we, you know, have some time. No, no, we, we need to make time, and we need to do it now. Um, uh, uh, going forward, we, we, will, we will desperately need uh, each other in the Christian life. Dr. Haken, thank you so much for coming on the Covenant Podcast with us. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very, very much for having me, and uh, every blessing. And this episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, accessible, and accredited. You can learn more about them at cbtseminary.org. Again, that's cbtseminary.org. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource, or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.